Our scripture reading this morning is from Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served to him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. So I, um, I have a quick video in just a second to play. Um, when thinking about what gifts do we bring and how might the world benefit from our gifts, you know, l- let's be honest, those of you who grew up in uh, Texas, uh, Friday Night Lights means something, right? Um, so we have an overabundance of zeal for high school football, right? Can I get an amen from somebody, right? I mean, how many people um, pray for a long football season so that into December we're still traveling across the state so that we can go to the state playoffs, right? Um, When we moved to Texas, uh, I was in junior high, and um, oh my goodness, right? The bands, the uh, football teams, the stadiums, wow, right? I mean, it is Friday night lights, par excellence. Now, the Bishop of Alabama, um, Will Willimon, one time said that apparently uh, the Alabama United Methodist Church has an overabundance of AARP members. Apparently, God has gifted us with grandparents. Maybe the world needs grandparents to care for grandchildren who do not have any. So taking that idea from Will Willimon, I wonder, is there any way that we could take our overabundance of zeal for high school football and meet somebody's need in a Christian way? Give me five minutes of a video, and I'll meet you on the other side. They called my name. They knew my number. But I thought they just had somebody named that name on their team. What do you do if you have an overabundance of zeal for Friday night lights? You find somebody who doesn't have somebody and you give them a band and a cheer squad and you make a spirit line You feed them a meal. I love what the coach says, that's somebody's boy. That's somebody's boy. And they're playing football. And in our culture, what we do is we love those kids that are on the field. I remember one school, one uh, church I served, um, Halloween was on Friday. 
Do you know where this is going? Um, and I told the church, if you want to be in ministry to the community, will you show up and make sure that the kids can trick or treat at the church? And they said, preacher, <laughs> it's Friday night. <laughs> ain't, ain't nobody trick or treating on Friday night. <laughs> preacher, it's a home game. <laughs> Um, preacher, if you listen, you can hear the band practicing right now. That's how close you are to the stadium. Tell me, preacher, you know that there's a football game, right? I, I've always been convinced that churches will tell you where they want you to be by the um, kind of the, the perks of the job of being pastor. At this church, I had season tickets. I'm sorry, I didn't. The pastor did on the 50-yard line. Preacher, ain't nobody going to be trick-or-treating on Friday night. Well, there was one person who was trick-or-treating on Friday night. Uh, it was um, the preacher's kid <laughs> named Grace. But for the next four years that we were there, we were on the 50-yard line with the rest of the community. What can we do? What can we do? What do we have to offer? How can we help someone else? What gifts can we bring? How can the world benefit from our gifts? Well, a little bit of passion for Friday Night Lights goes a really long way. Our scripture passage this morning uh, talks about kind of who we are and, and where we are. Um, the uh, story of Nehemiah, uh, which I, I love, a, a church member has already stolen my uh, joke, right? Did you ever know there were cars in the Bible? Nissan. Right, anyways, Nissan. <laughs> Nisan was a, a month in the Jewish year, right? Let's not get too excited. So um, Nehemiah is the cup bearer uh, for King Artaxerxes. Now, uh, Artaxerxes is really more of a title. Uh, most likely, this was King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. Um, the stories of Nehemiah and Ezra and um, Esther all go together also with the stories of Daniel, um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These are all part of the Babylonian captivity. Now, the strange thing about the Babylonian captivity was uh, the Babylonians come and they, uh, you know, kick your rear and uh, level your uh, town and uh, call a, a conquest, and then they take half your population. Uh, mostly it's all of the professional, uh, educated, and skilled um, uh, politicians and lawyers and religious elite, and they take them off to Babylon. And it's really part of this uh, syncretism uh, that allows for the Babylonian culture uh, to spread. And so uh, Nehemiah is in um, Nebuchadnezzar's court. Uh, he is the cup bearer. Now, uh, how many of you watch Downton Abbey, right? Come on, fess up, right? I know you're watching it. Uh, Downton Abbey, right? So uh, even if you're um, a servant in the royal or the Lord's house, you're eating pretty good, right? So Nehemiah was comfortable, right? Uh, part of the, the, the um, uh, difficulty of the job of Nehemiah was he had to taste the wine before the king tasted it to make sure it was the right vintage and also so that it wasn't poisoned, right? Um, so Nehemiah is the cupbearer uh, in the king's court. And for four months, he has heard uh, about his homeland, Jerusalem, um, how the city has no walls, 
how the city has um, not been able to prosper, how the city continues to be taken over by the Egyptians or uh, taken over by the Babylonians, and that it's just a really difficult place to live, and that his heart breaks for his homeland. Now, now let's be honest, right? I mean, he's pretty darn comfortable we got the gated community. We got the, oh, gee, I have to taste another glass of wine, right? I mean, like, being the cupbearer, it's not like it was his problem to fix the homeland. And let's also be honest that Nebuchadnezzar really didn't like Jerusalem. He really didn't want to see the walls rebuilt. He really didn't want to see the people of Israel prosper because he had a little bit of a grudge against them. In fact, he had said, no longer, no more will the walls be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Now, I know you're thinking walls, walls, really, walls. But walls were important. That if your city was to prosper, you had to be able to determine what was you and what was them. You had to be able to determine uh, where safety and sanctuary was and where the outer wilderness would be. And so not having good walls meant you couldn't get past Maslow's hierarchy of needs of the lowest rung. And so uh, the opportunity to build walls was important. Now, um, Nehemiah finds himself at a banquet and he is serving wine to the king. It's his regular job. And he serves wine to the king and he catches the king's eye and he puts on a sad face. And the king says, why are you sad? And quickly, I love the scripture. It says, um, quickly, I prayed to God, right? Arrow prayer. Have you ever prayed an arrow prayer? Lord, help me, right? It's like a flare, right? Need help now, right? I'm sure you've done that. I've done that, right? Uh, There's one author that says there's three versions of prayer. There's um, uh, help, wow, and thanks, right? (laughs) It's uh, always a good day if you get uh, the last two, wow and thanks, right? Usually if you're doing the help prayer, um, something's difficult. And so Nehemiah shoots off a help prayer. And then he looks at the king and he says, why should I be sad? I'm right here with the king. I'm the cupbearer of the king. May you live forever but I'm sad that my homeland has no walls. Notice he doesn't say Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like Jerusalem. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, wait, you're my cupbearer. You've done such good things for me. What if I send you back to your homeland to rebuild the walls? And uh, I'm sure that um, Nehemiah was covering a smile at that point. What a great idea, king! You should send me back so that I can take care of the walls of my homeland. Again, not mentioning that it was Jerusalem. But, but how will I build the walls? The king says, well, I have a forest right you know, in the center of my land, in the center of the empire. I will give you papers and you can get all the wood you need. Wow, king, how generous you are. I will go right now and rebuild the walls. Now it wasn't until later, I think, that Nebuchadnezzar figured out that the place where he had sent the cupbearer to rebuild the walls was Jerusalem. But think about it from Nebuchadnezzar's side. He's got his man on the ground. He's got his guy who trusts and loves and serves him so well that he even tastes the wine before the king drinks it. Gotta be a good deal. It's gotta be a good deal to have your guy on the ground taking care of the walls. What's interesting about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah leaves a place of comfort, 
travels to a place of difficulty, and at the prompting of God, begins the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, which allow for the rebuilding of the temple, which allow for the beginning of the return from the Babylonian captivity. Isn't it interesting that God would use a cupbearer to begin the return home? What can I do? What things can I do? I, I don't see people who are uh, um, um, uh, hungry or um, without homes or uh, without jobs. I mean, this is what Nehemiah would have said. The king takes care of everybody. We're in Babylon. There's no want for anything, except that God moves his heart, gives him a passion to take care of his homeland. What good can we do? Who really needs our gifts? As we begin thinking about what are the gifts in our neck of the woods, or what are the needs in our neck of the woods, I want to really encourage you to look and listen and think, who are those around us who have great needs? I was shocked to find out that there is a large proportion of the students in our local high schools who are considered heads of the household. They're considered heads of the household in their homes because they bring home the food that their uh, siblings eat over the weekend. It's the backpack ministry out of True to Life Ministries. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's basic food in a backpack uh, provided to uh, juniors and seniors who carry it home so that their siblings will have food because mom and dad are either absent or working shift work or just not able to care for others. Show up on a Tuesday or a Saturday over at the food basket, and there'll be a line of people, whether it's rain or sleet or cold or hot, and they're waiting for um, food. And I I love uh, Michael Rowland as he begins the day with Lisa Owsley, that oftentimes the portion of their food will include um, golden flakes, frosted flakes, not frosted flakes, cornflakes. And I don't know about you, but after a while, cornflakes get old. But when I start asking the folks in line, what do you do with the cornflakes? They say, ooh, it's like manna from heaven. You can bread uh, chicken in cornflakes. You can eat cornflakes for um, breakfast. You can put cornflakes on the top of a casserole. You can use cornflakes to thicken up something. Cornflakes is a pretty good thing if you got it. We look around the needs in our community. Who really has something? We're in Lake Jackson, the original planned community. What, who could lack for something in the land of Dow and BASF? Who really needs in our community? We start looking around just in our state. Uh, we begin to realize that uh, Texas incarcerates more people than really any other state when you look at per capita by um, population. That when you look at our very neighborhood, um, the Clemens unit is the first stop for every youthful offender as they come through, uh, male youthful youthful offender, before they get farmed out to other places like the Gainesville State uh, School. So if you wanted to have an impact on youthful offenders under 18 who have had some sort of conviction, God has brought them to your doorstep to give care to them. Jesus says, whenever I was hungry, uh, whenever I was naked, whenever I was thirsty, whenever I was sick, whenever I was imprisoned, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Let's look a little bit wider. What would it be like to think about uh, Texas itself? 
Um, 22.2 million is the big magic number. 22.2 million is the estimated Hispanic population in Texas uh, in 2050, assuming the net migration that we've currently experienced. What that means is that 53% of the total population in 2050 will be uh, Hispanic or Latino, with varying levels of uh, English as a second language, with varying levels of opportunity to make an impact on their lives. I don't have to tell you that the United Methodist Church does not look very Hispanic and Latino. We learned that lesson from Christway United Methodist Church. If we also push a little bit further, um, what would it be like if we could increase 35%, uh, by 35% the wage earnings of an adult? Sounds pretty good. What if I told you it happens within the first five years? If there's some sort of preschool education for people within the first five years, especially those of our lower socioeconomic class, you can increase their wages by 35%. A rising tide raises all boats. Sounds pretty good even if you're a Republican, right? I hear there's a preschool back there. I wonder what it would be like if we saw that as something to continue to take the next step. They're doing wonderful steps already at the preschool here at Chapelwood. What if we moved even further to think about it as a way to raise a generation of faith, to assist families initially so that they can get that preschool experience in the first five years? What are the needs in our community? What are the needs in our world? Um, today, uh, 20 uh, United Methodist layperson and uh, persons and clergy will leave out of Texas annual conference, our conference, and go with Gaston Warner to Kenya in Africa and begin learning how to make a difference in the lives of African orphans. You might say, really, African orphans? Well, why not deal with orphans here uh, in our country? Well, remember that the spread of HIV and that the effect of genocide has left more per capita orphans in Africa than anywhere else in the world. And Zoe Ministries, led by Gaston Warner, um, teaches uh, folk uh, in Africa how to take the orphans in their village um, and in a three-year process, take them from panhandlers to small business owners. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. It's an opportunity to change the world for the better. What gifts do we bring? and who needs our gifts? Well, church, I, I wanna encourage you to take your next step. I wanna encourage you and urge you to think beyond uh, just where we are. Uh, you might be the cup bearer to the king. Um, you might have a pretty cushy job. You might have the right place in the right time. And really, uh, when you stretch out your arms, there's not a whole lot of want around you. I want you to think one step further than just where your arms will reach. I want you to think about your backyard and about your backyard neighbor and think about the people in one town over or one county over that when we begin thinking about the gifts that we have are not for us, but for somebody else, we begin to see God's miracle right before it happens. That when we see what we have is not as ours, but rather something to share with others because God's shared it with us, we begin down that road of calling, of having a call to a higher purpose, something beyond ourselves, something more than we can do on our own, something that we need the help of others to make happen. But I have to tell you, in America, we're a little reluctant. We are reluctant, reluctant to share our needs, uh, reluctant to share our gifts, reluctant really to do anything, uh, reluctant to um, draw attention to ourselves in the pews, right? 
reluctant. I want to share um, uh, about a two-minute audio of my sister. Uh, she um, was talking about evangelism and caring for others uh, in a talk from uh, a convocation at Duke University. And she talks about uh, Gaston, her husband, uh, pastoring um, a multicultural church uh, in Chicago. Can we run that video or that audio? My husband pastored a church in the north side of Chicago um, several years ago with a largely immigrant congregation. It was a congregation where many struggled to make ends meet, where homeless felt comfortable worshiping, where many struggled uh, with homelessness and with mental illnesses, rarely seen publicly in the suburban churches where we had previously attended as young people. As new pastors, we introduced a few new practices. One had been popular in the suburban church, inviting individuals to fill out prayer requests in the narthex before worship to be included in the prayers of the people during that service. That seemed safe enough. The first Sunday of implementation, Gaston was preparing to process in with the lay leader, who was also the church matriarch, and he began to read through those prayer requests, and he stopped abruptly. I can't read this to the congregation. And she turned and she said, well, why not, Pastor? Well, the first one says to pray that Robbie will quit beating Mary. There was Robbie and Mary in the fifth row. The second asked, please pray for Johnny, who is struggling with his cocaine addiction. But there was Johnny slouched in the back row. And the lay leader, without any visible reaction at all, asked again, why not, Pastor? We all know Robbie beats Mary. Robbie knows it. Mary knows it. We all know that Johnny is addicted to cocaine. Why shouldn't we pray about these things together as a church? Every church has brokenness, but few are able to strip away the pretense of perfection and invite God's Holy Spirit in to truly sanctify us. This ability to announce and denounce opened our eyes to the signs and wonders that God would demonstrate in this congregation in spite of us. What is it like to strip away the appearance of perfection so that our gifts might be shared, so that the needs might be realized, so that ministry might happen? Immigrant populations understand it really well. It's just us who still think we have to clean up before we take a bath. It's just us who think we have to look perfect when we walk in the doors. It's just us who still appears that we don't need anything. Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, did a tiny thing. He frowned in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, and it began the return from exile. What will you do today that will begin a domino of events that allow for God's will to be done, for hope to be realized, for care to be extended, for ministry to be done. It might be as simple as attending a Friday night football game. It might be as powerful as having a not-for-us fund. Uh, Jeff McDowell, the pastor at the Harvest United Methodist Church in Sugarland, uh, Siena Plantation, One of the first things they did is they started to plant the church. They had no building. They had no congregation. They only had a pastor supplied by the annual conference. He said, our first offering will be a not-for-us offering. And out of that not-for-us offering, other churches have been planted. Uh, People's rent has been paid. Medical bills have been taken care of. Uh, People's lives have been changed. Uh, 
not for us, but for someone else. The world needs our gifts. What gifts will we bring? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Um, Sometimes I'm just in awe. You couldn't plan this stuff, right? Um, Nothing like uh, Graydon whispering to me, you dropped the bread. And I'm thinking, really? I've been doing ministry for 15 years. I didn't drop the bread. And I look down and surely enough, I dropped the bread. I go back to get more bread. And immediately I drop that bread too. And Graydon says, you dropped the bread again. You're right, I did, you know, and then, you know, anyways. Um, so I also dropped um, the reminder uh, that there is a small square piece of paper. Uh, I'd love for you to write down a need. Maybe it's a need for the gathering place. Maybe it's a need on your pew. Maybe it's a need on your street. Maybe it's a need in your community. Something that you know about, either because it's your need or you know how to connect the gift with the person who's in need of the gift. Write it down, uh, drop it into um, the office or uh, collect them at Sunday school, get them to the pastors. We're going to be making a great collage of needs for an opportunity for us to create a great sending as we feel called to meet those needs. Um, Let's see, one more announcement. So there was a worship brainstorming that was gonna happen today, but apparently there's another big cultural event that's happening today, the Super Bowl. So what a great opportunity for me to remind you, if you'd like to have an impact on what happens in worship, whether it's the decorations, whether it's the slides in the media, whether it's anything else that happens, the topics that the preacher preaches on, uh, the direction that we go with responses, whether it's a little piece of uh, white paper or not, come to a worship brainstorming. Do you need to be invited? No. Uh, Do you need to have some special skill set? No. Do you just wanna be able to impact the worship that your community has? Yes. Uh, Do you need to know anything? No, Kate facilitates the process. Uh, So come, you don't have to bring anything except your own heart and your own opinions and your own preferences. And together uh, we will do the work of the people by making uh, and planning uh, worship. Our closing song is, they will know we are Christians by our love. David, come and lead us in our closing song. So Diane Rouse is here as a Stephen minister. So if you want to have somebody to pray with you or to arrange care for somebody, uh, Diane's happy to talk with you um, today. Um, Why don't we grab a hand uh, uh, of somebody next to you? You don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. All right, let's have our closing benediction. Almighty God, remind us that even in a world where we feel like we're stuck with a lot of lemons, you have encouraged us to make lemonade Uh, to share a cold gift of water with those who are in need, because certainly there are people who have needs around us, even ourselves. So Lord, we give thanks that you have met our need. Send us out, blessed to be a blessing to others, to meet their needs as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.